Hello everyone, welcome to Lexicon, the podcast of interest in engineering. Today we're thrilled to have Richard Browning, the founder of Gravity Industries. Now Gravity Industries, or shall we say the flight club, is at the forefront of engineering jet suits, and these are empowering humans to take flight. Without further ado, let's dive into the fascinating world of these jet suits, exploring how they work and their real world applications. Um, yeah, so my name is Richard Browning. I am the founder and chief test pilot from Gravity, and we build and fly 1,000 horsepower jet suits. Yep. So what exactly are your jet suits, if you could explain? So really, they are, if you imagine a backpack on your back, um, there is some uh, fuel in, in that backpack. There is a, a bunch of engines as well, little jet engines, and then there is a pair of jet engines on each of your arms. And the net result means that you've got a whole bunch of um, uh, little versions of what you have on a jet fighter or an airline, a little jet engines that hose enough air downwards with enough force that it pushes you up into the air. And then because you've got uh, two on each arm and some on the back, you are almost like a three-legged tripod of thrust. So if you point your arms down, then you go up. If you flare your arms out of it, then you sink down again. And then all this very precise maneuverability that we managed to achieve comes from just tuning human balance to adapt to those vectors. So it's almost like a human version of the Harrier jet fighter or the um, or the F-35. Okay. I was thinking of Iron Man a little bit. <laughs> I couldn't help but think of... I mean, it is, it's not what we built it. It is often the kind of flattering parallel. You have to be careful connecting what we do with um with with science fiction characters because uh you know there's a, you can achieve a lot with cgi but actually yes we had the original developers of the uh the first iron man film from a CGI point of view reach out to us and um very flatteringly credit us with um uh with what we'd done saying that they were delighted to see that because actually the early stages of seeing the tony stark figure trying to learn to fly in his swanky yeah mansion garage um they guessed and then they watched us do it for real and actually there is the same weird process of tuning human balance until you get to that strange moment where a bit like a kid on a bicycle you just get it and you look up and smile and you never think about it again and it's the same with us yeah well that's really interesting so what kind of experiences do you offer to the public then is it like over water or is it over land how does that work so yeah we we have a quite a wide range of activities in our business now um, and one of them is indeed training clients, so members of the public or military or, uh, military or medical people. Um, we've had over 600 clients here and in LA, and we're soon opening a place in Dubai as well. Uh, you get uh, connected up to a sort of almost like a rock climbing top rope on a little tether behind your, your back. And uh, you stand there on, on experience, very low power, but it's enough to kind of feel the balance. Um, and then as your balance improves, you start to get more and more power. But because you've got that tether and the power is in a, on a remote control system, um, you are entirely enclosed. You're not like um, fl- flailing all over the place or in danger of even falling over, let alone rising up in an uncontrolled way. So, you know, even my kids learned to do this when they were about 13. Um, so it's actually, despite what it would look like, it is actually a very benign way. It's a more gentle way of learning than it is when you learn to ride a bike and quite often fall off and hurt your knee. Um, there's no hurting of knees on our training process. So um, we have yeah. a lot of people down to Goodwood or to LA. So Goodwood in the UK near the um, near, near London, um, other two locations um, where we train people. Okay. So are there any experiences like over water then? Sorry, I didn't get that part. Um, 
Um, yeah, so so we um, so we, we train people on our training rig. You then graduate off that to do um, flights on a long zip wire, and then when you're completely ready, we uh, qualify you to then free fly, which is still only a couple of meters off the ground and usually over grass. And then indeed, you can fly over water if you want. Uh, that's where our race series is um, is taking place because over water you can push the speeds and go a little higher if you want um, without generating any significant risk. So really it's it's for kind of qualified pilots that are able to fly free. Um, my hesitance of letting people who aren't quite ready fly over water is simply that you just end up damaging the equipment yeah. each time you fall in the water. So it gets quite expensive after a while. So um, there's no need to do that until you're properly dialed in. Mm. So just to kind of go like back to humble beginnings um, to learn a little bit more about yourself. Um, what kind of sparked the idea of the jet suit then? Like how did your childhood influence, you know, come into play with the, with its development to say? Yeah. So um, the Penguin Random House people kindly reached out some years back uh, before COVID and, and did a great book on this whole background uh, called Taking on Gravity. There's an audio book and a real book, um, which kind of goes through this, this background. So um, in summary, though, uh, I came from a family of aviators and engineers. Uh, my late father was an engineer and uh, aeronautical engineer. Uh, his father was a wartime pilot and then civil pilot. And then my other grandfather was Sir Basil Blackwell, who used to run Westland helicopters. So I, without really consciously thinking about it, I had a lot of that in my in my DNA. Um, I was actually an oil trader in, in the city of London for about 16 years, um, which was a, a weird application of my sort of entrepreneurial curiosity, but still actually, you know, a great experience. Um, if you wind the clock forward to 2016, uh, as the latest in a long line of unusual projects and challenges that I'd taken on, uh, which included joining the Royal Marines Reserve, for instance, um, some years before then, um, I hatched this idea that could you not augment uh, human balance and physicality? And I'm a big believer in what you can train humans to do. You know, it's amazing when you look at a human, the human body and mind and how many different roles and applications humans have applied themselves to all over the world. So I had this hunch that a bit like a bicycle, you could adapt human balance and physicality to engage with a piece of equipment that would allow you to do a lot more than you can without that. You know, but like I say, a bicycle does that elegantly. Mm -hmm. um, and I started experimenting, no business idea whatsoever, just started playing around in this farmyard using little turbo jets because I thought they were the most dense form of thrust and propulsion that you could uh, really get hold of. And um, yeah, over about eight months. And again, it's there's a TED Talk, TED 2017 TED Talk um, from Vancouver that I did to sort of share with the world this story tried lots and lots of things most of which didn't work but each time failure was recoverable so it was just falling over from you know feet or so, a couple of feet or so on a farmyard um uh, i just endlessly experimented and uh, ended up with this uh, system that actually was highly intuitive and allowed you to fly almost like you were in a dream you just think where you want to go and you go and um and then launched it into a company. And as I sit here now, we've done over 300 events in 45 countries. Uh, we're launching a race series. We've got a massive military business and medical business and training people all over the world. So it's all been quite a whirlwind, really, in a relatively short space of time. Yeah, well, that sounds like an amazing journey. And I completely understand about, you know, failing and failing and failing until you succeed. So, you know, well done on the perseverance because, um, yeah, that's great. It's a great story. Um, and I'm sure you really, you know, you still do find it interesting doing what you're doing because it's coming from like a passion. And, you know, it's it's based on your background as well. Why you keep doing this. It's not really about it being a business or anything like that. It's just 
you know something that you've wanted to do and that you've liked to do and it's turned yeah into- I mean it, it 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 does link to growing up as a child around um a I was an only child I went to boarding school as well so I, I didn't really have you know brothers and sisters around yeah. but I, I did um witness a pretty sad tale of my father sort of leaving a day job and going it alone trying to set up a quite novel unusual engineering business and it ultimately mm-hmm failed um badly and he took his own life when i was 15 which was a, a major lesson in yeah. yeah sure have your wild dreams but just notice how badly wrong it can go if it does go yeah. wrong. so i have lived this journey of um ever since then not being afraid to take on challenges and and i, I love that process of getting a crazy idea over the line um and i had quite a few over the years uh, but I'm also extremely painfully aware of every time you try something, it's probably going to be difficult. And, you know, if, if, it, if it's worthy, worthy of, of, of you taking it on, there's a good chance it won't work, right? Otherwise, you're not really trying anything particularly new. But yeah. if it's going to fail, our key mantra for years and you know, still is now, just make those inevitable failures recoverable from a safety, reputation and financial perspective. Just be able to get back up again after each kind of punch that the world gives you. And if you can survive enough of those, you'll get to a point where eventually, you know, you succeed or you can adapt the idea and go in a different direction. But yeah, yeah that's a big part of the kind of underlying journey, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy journey, really. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, lots of people dream about ideas and me too. Most of the time, though, they don't work out. It's just um, yeah. never losing that almost childlike spirit of wanting to try things, even when people say they can't be done long as you're not a complete lunatic and doing something that's painfully impossible yeah exactly. Um, then uh, actually every now and then you know this has become a bit of an example of what can happen yeah and just to kind of you know go through the key tech behind the jet suits um you know could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit and if there were any major engineering challenges that you can you know think of yeah, I mean, I mean, in some ways, it's fairly simple. It is it is a pair of little turbojets on each arm. Um, the net result feels like the thrust is going up your arm. That's why there's two on each arm. And then there is, um, depending on the model, there is a one or a number of engines on the back to create that third leg of that tripod. And as I mentioned, manipulating those essentially three thrust vectors, if you simplify it, that's, that's what allows you to fly it with vectoring to your you know, going back to your sort of physics high school kind of um, X, Y, Z thrust vectors, you are unconsciously manipulating those to create this instant, very precise maneuverability. Um, nearly every other aircraft is actually, well, any, any other VTOL type of aircraft, most of them are then throttling up and down, which is quite a laggy, slow process uh, and requires quite a bit of altitude such that you can make, you know, corrections and adjustments. We have this huge opportunity or huge advantage in being able to just skirt low over the ground um, by just adjusting those thrust vectors manually. Um, So therefore, we never really generate any sort of dangerous energy levels unless you you really need to for some tactical reason or something. Um, But uh, so you've got you've got these you've got thrust, you've got an engine control system, you've got a pendant that shows you all the engine data when you're starting up and then just shows you fuel while you're flying. Um, and then trying to marry all that up to a human being in a comfortable way that also floats if you fall in water, that's part of the sort of harness structure challenge. Um, but trying to turn that into almost a product that, that could be lying on the ground, or it's, there's, there's some models have got suit legs, so it can be sitting on its legs. I, I can run up to that, put it on, start it, as, start it as I'm putting it on, and within 36 seconds of 
touching it, I can be hovering in the air. And within another 60 seconds, I can be anywhere, you know, within a kilometer radius in pretty much any weather, night or day, no matter what the terrain. To turn that, you know, to create that as a platform and make it re reliable and robust and professional, that's been the big journey, I think. Oh, so just to kind of touch base on um, certain environments that it operates in, because you mentioned, you know, in different terrains. And so does that work in different climates too, then um, the jet suit? Yeah, um, just like any other internal combustion engine uh, or rotor craft, um, you um, gradually lose thrust the lighter or the less dense the air gets. So if the higher you go, and I'm not necessarily talking about going flying high into the air, I'm talking about the higher the land. So in Johannesburg and the Arizona mountains, we've flown in both those locations at 6,000 feet. Oh, wow. uh, the air is less dense. So therefore, for every every um, volumetric um, um, chunk of air you're throwing out the back of the engine, it weighs less and therefore is giving you less of a Newtonian push. Um, and similarly with temperature, the hotter the air, the less dense it is, and therefore the less thrust you get as well. So um, but, but I say this, as I said, this is entirely common to every, um, uh, every, um, uh, you know, every flying device I can think of with, um, certainly an internal combustion engine. Um, so hot and high, um, you don't generate so much power surprisingly, and it always baffles me, but, um, it's amazing how jet engines don't seem to care about rain. We've flown in some most horrendous weather before, but how many times have you sat on a runway in a civil airliner? In horrendous weather and watch those engines suck in all the water um you know from the surrounding area as you power down the runway jet engines actually to a point generate a tiny bit more thrust with um sucking in water because of that explosive steam generation um so we don't care about that it, it, i'd say that the the biggest enemy to jet suits from a weather point of view is just very very violent gusty wind um if you're trying to hover in one place and the wind is moving between 20 and 50 miles an hour up and down every few seconds, that's quite a challenge, but it's amazing still what we can achieve versus most aircraft. We've, we've operated in quite a few environments where all other aircraft were shut down apart from us. So yeah, uh, we generally are less, less vulnerable than most. Oh, and um, so just to kind of get an idea as to how it's powered, then how, how do you, how would you charge a jet, a jet suit? And you know, how long does that last for each charge basically? Well, the jet engine. So it's, um, you're putting jet fuel in. So, okay. um, uh, yeah, we built an electric version, uh, but just like anybody who's ever looked at anything like this would entirely imagine the energy density of the batteries is so poor that, um, yeah. the end, the batteries end up weighing more than the pilot and it only lasts about a 30 seconds or so. So as okay. the world gets better batteries, we can indeed have one where I could answer your question about how long it would take to charge, but not yet. Um, the, the jet fuel version, um, it, it, because you're making it small, light and very powerful, trying to make it also very efficient is a kind of physics impossibility. So it's not the most efficient thing in the world. It's not designed to go for many hours. Um, because we can go from zero to 60 miles an hour in a second um, and travel in a straight line to our objective. It's amazing how you can travel a few miles very quickly, um, despite only usually having a fuel capacity that burns for about four or five minutes. Um, so compared to helicopters and aircraft, it sounds ridiculous. Most of them spend longer than that warming up. But if you compare this to, you know, walking, running, mountain biking or off-road vehicles, it's outrageously fast. We flew up the Helvellyn mountain in the Lake District in three minutes when it took an hour and 20 minutes to walk and the helicopters couldn't operate because of the weather. So it, it's a funny animal. It um, doesn't sound like it lasts very long, but when it doesn't, but you can do a lot in that time. Yeah. 
And just to kind of like um, run through applications for the jet suits, um, before we, we kind of dive into industries, can you tell us a bit more about, you know, what's what this Dubai jet suit race is, um, you know, and how your jet suits will be taken centre stage there? What's, why is this such a, a big milestone? So having done hundreds of events around the world, opening stadiums, private gatherings for all sorts of interesting people, you know, uh, technology conferences, you know, you name it, we've done it's ridiculous. I can't even name all those 45 countries, but it's it's been quite a whirlwind. I feel like every single time we, we pack up and go away, we leave a, a live audience that are desperate to see more. It is, for, for many people, the most outrageous and spectacular thing they ever see in their lives, seeing a human just sort of step off the ground and just literally like Iron Man fly around in, in seemingly the most relaxed kind of easy way. Um I feel like we've we've done the equivalent of sort of doing donuts in a Formula One car or in loads of cities around the world and then gone off and never actually put on a Formula One race. Yeah. Um, so, the, so the ambition, and we had this ambition before COVID and obviously that messed up our plans. Uh, we had the ambition to have a multiple pilot guys and girls race um, over water to keep it safe with uh, inflatable pylons, a bit like the Red Bull Air Race um, in an iconic waterfront location, you know, lakes, rivers and seafronts type places. Um and uh, really push the boundaries of human machine capability whilst delivering a you know a really awesome visual spectacle um that that's that's really the background um and so we are doing we're actually running the inaugural race on the 28th of february um uh, with a, an amazing stunning backdrop of dubai right next to the dubai yacht show that's going on at the same time and and really this is an opportunity to kind of deliver on what we think that ambition will look like we really want to, you know, really see how spectacular it looks, and um, and they really build from there. We've already got a number of other cities interested to pick up sort of races two and three, um, and, and you know, to be blunt about it, we're we're just going to borrow from the very well proven playbook of motor racing in terms of different teams and different sponsors and different locations um, and uh, constructor championships, and then gradually allowing people to modify the uh, the, um, the you know the technical. Uh, spec of the suits and all that kind of stuff but these things you know you've got to start somewhere and uh, thanks to the great support from Dubai we are going to kick it off in pretty a uh, grand fashion as I say at the end of February and uh, everybody can then rather than listen to me describe it they can actually see what we're talking about and see just how spectacular it is. So just to confirm this will be the first sporting contest you know featuring opponents who are basically flying without any kind of aircraft um, with you putting it like that, I would be, uh, I would be probably agreeing. I mean, there might be some niche sport that I have that neither of us have thought of, yeah. But, um, but, but yeah, in in essence, yes. I mean, it, I want people to. It's not us telling you, but I want people to, um, on their own volition, see this online and live and go, oh my god, this is just like watching a real life Marvel film. Yeah. Honestly, the very first time people see this anyway, just at an event, it does defy your logic part of your brain. You just can't compute what you're seeing usually. So the idea of a whole bunch of people racing aggressively, really close pack formation around obstacles and properly pushing the limits of what's possible, I think Mm -hmm. should be truly spectacular. And yes, it's to a lot of people, it's the closest humans have got yet to that dream of flying that is manifested in superhero films where you are, you know, standing there as a human and you just step and go like you often experience in dreams where you can sort of fly and float around nearly every other flying craft is usually quite a large structure where with a seat and a control system and whatever i mean parachuting you know when you're dangling under it you do feel a bit like you're kind of flying but you can't really control a huge amount about where you go and there's a big structure above you 
Um, you know, similarly with paramotoring, um, hang gliding is pretty close to it, I suppose. But again, you know, it's it's not quite there. Whereas this does get pretty close to delivering on that. You know, as a human standing there, you just step off the ground and just go. Yeah. So, but anyway, look, we'll have to see. It's um, in the spirit of what I said earlier. You know, we're experimenting. We're going to see what it looks like, and if people want more, we're, we're certainly keen to deliver. It is one of the most spectacular things, if not the most spectacular thing, I think I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and that is flying alongside other pilots in that free space. It is just an awesome feeling. So just to kind of gain an idea as to what the race would be like, um, is that like racing upwards or is it like like on a racetrack, but you fly in? Um... No, so, so if you imagine the Red Bull Air Race, which was really just imagine a chunk of water, um, usually surrounded by a city with a load of sort of huge road cone or witch's hat type obstacles. Usually, I don't know how they hide where they were, must have been 30 feet or so inflatable um so if you hit them with a plane then it wouldn't hopefully damage the plane too much and the planes would then fly in go through a start line and go through round the course and try and get round the course in the fastest time possible but um we can do the same but in a smaller area closer to the audience um where we're all together rather than the rebel air race they couldn't do it together because if they hit each other obviously that would be terrible whereas um with our pilots i mean if they get it wrong they just fall in the water um so yeah. uh, imagine all those pilots just swooping around these obstacles over water um they're going to try and get around the course as fast as they can and the first across the finish line is the winner and we're going to build all these heats and qualifying um races to the grand finale on the 28th perfect oh, thank you for explaining um yeah that sounds really interesting just kind of like i love the way how the jet suits are like pushing you know human boundaries in terms of imagination as well so yeah it's really inspiring and I mean is there any way that we could see this is it going to be live somewhere or do you have to we're we're not we're not going to I think we will will inevitably end up with probably um some Instagram live uh broadcasts I think going on so take take on um um, take on gravity I forget because my book is called taking on gravity (laughs) take on gravity is the um um is the um is the instagram um so i think we'll uh i think we'll probably broadcast them live on there but to be honest the, the main focus will be then sharing lots of content after it yeah uh, lots of people are in different time zones you know in reality this isn't a um you know race 20 where we've got everything properly dialed in there would be lots of hanging around waiting for you know the harbor to be cleared and the obstacles to be set up and you know what I mean? It, it's it's going to look slicker when we've when we've shot this offline and and then put it together as a proper kind of race production rather than um, having audiences hanging around watching <laughs> watching us um, line all this up for the first time. Yeah. Um, so um, so yeah, I I would say the um, you know the, the the best locations are going to be um, our social media and YouTube. Um, yeah, no, that's yeah. great. Uh, and you. take on gravity is the Instagram, the main Instagram page. Um, okay. There's a there's there's pretty much all the social channels. If you look for Richard Browning or Gravity Industries and your preferred social media platform, you can see see us on there. Yeah, oh, perfect. Um, and just to kind of like go beyond the whole personal um, challenges, personal joy, where do you see the jet suit like making a real world impact? Like I, I remember you um, mentioned the military and healthcare. Could you kind of elaborate on those kind of applications? Yeah, so, you know, again, I sort of reiterate that I didn't intend this to be a... Um, uh, a business really I, I just just wanted to focus on the technical challenge alongside my day job and then having got it to work I realized the next next challenge really was to see how it could become a business where it could fuel its own progression 
Uh, and that's kind of what we've, we've achieved. I mean, we did a raise last year uh, for $6 million at a $38 million post-money valuation. Um, so it's quite a significant company now. Um, and uh, just before we did that raise, we were actually a profitable company, which is um, crazy. You then go raise a load of money and then spend lots of that money um, ahead of the income you make. So it sort of yeah. <laughs> feels kind of wrong, but um, but that's what you've got to do after you raise. Um, so, so to achieve that, we had to apply the same curiosity that we've used on the technical side, we had to apply to the commercial side. And therefore we went about experimenting, exploring all sorts of different uh, business models around how to monetize this. And the one that started straight away was doing events. I mean, I literally got invited to go and do a quick demonstration for some VCs in San Francisco on the way to go to Vancouver to do the TED. And uh, we raised, I mean, this, was, this wasn't really even intended, but the very first raise we did by mistake was um, in a parking lot in San Francisco where, a very famous VC literally wrote a half a million pound, six hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar investment on a hundred dollar bill on my back oh, after wow. seeing the very first demo, which was really just to test the engines before potentially, you know, embarrassing myself at TED. So um, that dawned on me right at that point that gosh, you know, we should do more events. So we've earned really good money from from doing all sorts of, as I say, private and commercial and sporting events and, you know, and, and like I say, conferences, tech conferences, et cetera, all over the world. Um, I've got to meet, frankly, anybody you care to mention from Tom Cruise to Elon Musk um, uh, yeah. from doing these events and they pay really good money. So it was a ridiculous opportunity because you're, you're essentially getting to demonstrate what you do in front of often a very well-connected audience or a huge numbers of the public who love what you do, seemingly most of the, in most cases, and they pay you for it and you get some great social media content. So mm -hmm. that sort of snowballed over the last five, six years. Um, however, really the ambition was to find some professional applications that could sit alongside that. And, and because of my background with the military, uh, we have made some great inroads into special forces mobility. So moving special forces soldiers around and medics in the military and civilian context. In both cases, you've got specialist individuals who need to get rapidly across any terrain. In the case of the military, you know, minefields, mud, wire, water, um, at night, low below um, drone countermeasures and, um, and anti-aircraft systems to deliver a task and then self-extract. There's nothing really that, that can do all of what I just described there. Um, and so I can't go into a huge amount of detail, but we are active with a whole bunch of different special forces around the world. Uh, if people don't have a military background, their obvious criticism is, oh, you can't use your hands, you can't shoot, shoot a weapon, and it must be very loud. Without going into masses of detail, nobody in their right mind conducts a tactical bound into the face of enemy gunfire, whether you're walking, running, or driving a vehicle or flying, and we are no different. This is a tactical bound system. However, we have now built into it a capability to be able to engage targets to suppress whilst you're moving if you need to. Uh, but the main aim is to get to your objective and then instantly free your hands up and do whatever you need to do. Um, and on the noise front, because we can fly so low, we can disguise the noise in dead ground. And also compared to helicopters and things, we are we are actually harder to pinpoint. So um, anyway, without going into lots of detail, we've got those as two very big applications now sitting alongside all the fun entertainment, racing and client training stuff. Yeah. And um just to kind of get an idea as to where you could see other applications go and have you kind of thought about like, you know, maybe search and rescue or, you know, any other kind of industries where you think your jet suits would be beneficial? 
Yeah, so that that I didn't didn't linger on it, but but that's that sits with the military side of things. So okay. um, we, we've operated with the Dartmoor Rescue, Lake District um, Air Ambulance, etc., and yeah. we've absolutely proven that we are in many cases the fastest way to get that critical care alongside a patient. So so yeah, just just pausing on that for a minute. So if you think of a paramedic on a bicycle or a motorbike, they cut through the traffic to get to a patient to stabilize breathing or blood flow or pain management or triage, you know, or, or triage the patient. And then you bought yourself probably a decent amount of time to get an ambulance and further backup. In the same way in rough terrain, um, we can get a specialist medic up the side of a mountain or across a marsh or whatever to find that casualty land right next to them and keep them alive and buying them time again. And so we've proven that in many different locations. The medic side is, is tough, though, because we never want to take money off a charity or a medic organization. So they, they rely on sponsors. And we've had various sponsors over the years to, to nudge us forward each time. But really, it's going to be an application of the military proven technology to then apply in a medic setting. And I, I mean, I, I think it took many, many years for search and rescue and paramedic organizations to um, to be able to justify paying and maintaining a paying for and maintaining a helicopter. Um, and I think in the same way, it's going to take, you know, some years for us to prove that we can justify the cost of a jet suit, even though it's much less than a helicopter, um, to prove that it's, um, it's got a role between vehicle and foot access and helicopter access. Uh, I mean, like I say, technically, we've absolutely proven it, but um, we're, we're going to, we're not going to, like push that one harder than it's going to naturally flow. We should hopefully this year, if we've got diary time, be able to execute a, a an exercise we wanted to do for many months, uh, which is actually sitting alongside conventional response units and see if we can get to real casualties faster than the conventional response. Now, to, to be clear, the conventional response will still deploy, so we're not treating casualties as guinea pigs. But if, if we can actually have one of our team medics, there's a girl in our team who's a real medic. Um, and if she can get to those casualties faster, then, I mean, that's quite a headline creating yeah. uh, opportunity, I think, which should then lead to more sponsors on that part of the business. But um, frankly, we're so busy with all these things that we, 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 uh, we, we you know, we, we've got to prioritize in some way. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So just to kind of like elaborate on, um, not to go into too much detail, actually, because I understand, um, you know, clients and confidentiality and all that, but just... Um, so can you equip like your um, jet suits with different kind of tech to suit the industry or the application that you're trying to, you know, help in, if, you, if that makes sense? Can you change it? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, uh, a, a real basic one that had a real big impact was legs. So if you imagine you've got a big backpack as you go and hiking, um, they are a big pain anyway to take off and put on again, unless you've got a table that you can sort of flop your backpack onto, you end up sort of crumpling on the ground or you know in the case of military packs you often have a couple of guys have to haul to the you know haul a, another soldier onto his feet wearing a big backpack mm -hmm. so in the same way with our system um we uh, created a modified version for the medics and military where you can go down on one knee like you're in a fire position and actually you just rock back the suit onto four sprung loaded deployed legs and then you can just slip out of it in seconds again this is all on youtube and instagram yeah. Um, but that was a really good, extremely simple, but really good use of a very basic modification that suddenly meant you could put the gear down anywhere you needed to do a job and put it back on again and go without sort of flopping it onto the ground. That's yeah. kind of, I don't know, like I say, basic one, but it had a really big impact. Um, 
another one pretty basic too was um, for a lot of the Lake District flights. How do you navigate, especially in really bad uh, in really bad weather? Well, um, there are various iPhone um, mounting systems that the military use, which fold the phone down to like a sort of I don't know, like a little tablet table on your chest in front of you. And the idea is, is as, a, as you're a soldier going along, you can you know, go down on one knee, open out the phone, check a map or close it again and carry on. So in the same way, we just had this and we folded it out. And um, as you're flying, you can just glance down at the map. And if you've pre-drawn on your route, you can just watch your little blob uh, cruising along. And if it deviates from the route, you can just adjust your course. I, I mean, again, mega simple, like your mountain biking but actually meant that I could navigate invisibility that was probably down to about three or four meters. There were times when I was flying completely unable to see anything other than a little pool of ground below me to get an idea of height. Um, and I just followed the blob right to a trig point. Um, and it was um, an amazingly simple application of a very neat technology. But um, yeah, lo lots, of, lots of different modifications. There's all sorts of military modifications we do as well. Yeah. It's quite an adaptable piece of equipment. Oh, that's cool yeah so just to kind of like get an idea of um you know the training required to operate one of these I can imagine like it would take some mental training as well um but could you kind of like explain like the physical training but the aspect of it like what do you need to do to kind of like feel confident in one of those suits um so I mean as with most sports if you're you know, fairly light and fit, then you'll find it easier to learn than somebody who's heavy and not very fit. Mm. Um, when it comes to flying these, I mean, essentially you're, you're leaning like you're leaning on a table. So you're leaning on a bar in a pub, that kind of thing. You're just leaning with roughly straight arms. Surprising how that is not burdensome. And then the rear thrust is lifting the equipment and quite a chunk of your weight. So some people think it must be like leaning on Olympic rings or something or doing a dip. It, it's 50% of that is really not hard. Um, but whilst you're learning, you do get tired arms because you're trying to, you know, a bit, a bit like, you know, a kid getting tired arms over, over correcting on the handlebars on a bicycle or a skier getting very tired legs because they're, you know, doing things they've never really done before with their legs and over correcting all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but you do that with this safety tether system that we have. Um, if you look for gravity flight club on Instagram, you can see examples of lots of clients doing this. Um, so as I say, most of the 600 people we've had within three goes or so, they're doing not a bad job of, of a crude hover with the benefit of the tether. So they can't do anything wrong. Um, but, but it, it, in terms of the actual training, I mean, it, it really is as unconscious as learning to ski, snowboard, or ride a bike, all of those things. You don't spend really much classroom time with any of them. Yeah. Um, you just get out there, have a go, get it wrong adapt learn correct try not to think about it too much and let your inner brain just tackle it which is why there's no getting around it and speaking as a 45 year old now most of my team are less than half my age and learn to fly within you know probably 10 15 minutes of cumulative time in the suit oh, wow that's really um, cool I just had 15 minutes <laughs> yeah young, young people who are quite good at just jumping on a skateboard or um you know just go for a weekend go and try and learn to snowboard and find they're quite good after a few hours yeah. Those kind of annoying people, they pick it up really quick. And um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a funny process. So just to kind of think about the future of your jet suits, because obviously, like, you know, we always have to evolve to keep up with certain tech and just to kind of like be relevant. Do you kind of see um, like what other tech you'd like for your future jets and why? So do you understand basically like do you see any 
other tech being incorporated in your jet suits in the future to make them even more advanced? Or do you have any ideas? I mean, you know, there's a lot of having, because no one really thought this was possible. Yeah. Uh, until we came along and, and proved it was. Um, there is a whole load of relatively simple things we can do um, and have been doing over the last years just to improve the system. And we're still working through that list. I mean, you yeah. know, lighter, more comfortable, more efficient, starting quicker, um, you know, more robust, um, all of that kind of stuff. Um, we've still got lots to go through on that list. Um, in terms of other tech that's coming, I mean, obviously we'd love you know, lighter, more efficient engines if we could ever get them. But if it's hard to, it's hard to make a huge leap in that area. I think the big one is is energy storage for for electric ducted fans. Um, it would be amazing if somebody could come up with something that got anywhere near the energy density of fossil fuels. Yeah, um, I mean, this is why you don't get very many electric planes at all. This is why Teslas and things get criticised for range. You know, it's why you, everybody moans about iPhones running out of battery after half a day. You know, it, it's the same problem. So I have every confidence that um, um, the world will um, solve that problem. But um, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest breakthrough. And then we can have a cleaner, quieter, uh, instant on electric version of what we do, which could even survive going in water as well. Yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of like gain an idea, I'm guessing because we've spoken about like lots of different industries that jet suits would be applicable in, um, like, would you, would, do you know what kind of market like jet suit, your jet suits are in, um, if you could kind of put that in a bracket and like, where would you see that market kind of evolving into like, I don't know, like money wise in the future? I mean, I, I think, um, Part of, under, underneath that question partly is, is you know, to what extent is this ever going to become a sort of mainstream form of transport? Lots of people get very excited about the idea of sort of iron manning their way to the shops or, you know, <laughs> be able to avoid traffic and whatever. I mean, it's a lovely idea, but our system is about as practical as a Formula One car to go to the shops in. I mean, it's, you know, it's yeah. a good drive to the shops, you know, but I mean, there's nowhere to put your shopping. It's extremely over fast, loud and expensive for the task at hand. So in the same way, you could, and we have done silly things like for Domino's and things, we've delivered pizzas and things for with our jet suits. Um, <laughs> we, we have done silly things like that just to prove you could do it and as part of promotions and stuff. But um, our system is niche and there's no getting away, away from it. You know, it is it is a niche form of transport. Yeah. Um, I think it will have a big role in special forces mobility, in, in medic response, um, in other niche industrial applications. But then also, if you think about jet skis, other than from a few lifeguarding purposes, um, they don't have much of a practical use at all, but there's millions of them all around the world because they're really fun and people race them and and get lots of value out of them. So at minimum, we tick that box, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm, as I say, quite proud that we've got these real world sort of quite serious grown up applications as well. I, I don't know, really, we'll have to see. I, and in terms of what category, I mean, I think it's sort of niche aviation, niche personal aviation. And as, as the world of drones gets ever more capable there is a growing number of electric quadcopter type transport vehicles that people are sitting in strapped to standing on sitting under whatever so we're like a you know even more compact version of that i would say which again is niche personal aviation or niche niche personal transport yeah 
And I'm not sure if we've um, kind of come across this or you've explained previously. Sorry if you have, but it's like a basic question. How do you actually maneuver these suits? Like, is it with a controller or are you just kind of moving your arms or legs in different ways to go in different directions? So you're, you're moving your arms, really, but because your arms are two of the three thrust vectors, by definition, if you move both arms, they are moving relative to the third vector, which is your back. Yeah. Um, so if you imagine three legs of a stool... Uh, imagine they are th- representing thrust vectors. If you point those legs all downwards, then you can rise up. If you spread all the legs out, then you'll sink downwards. If you then um, manipulate it so one of the three legs is bent inwards, you will fly, you know, if these are hoses of water, let's say hoses of thrust, mm. you will uh, move in the corresponding opposite direction. So yeah. really you are manipulating those thrust vectors using your arms. But it's as mysterious and hard to describe, but as intuitive and easy as moving the handlebars on a bicycle. You know, that doesn't actually make much sense. And (laughs) you aren't really consciously thinking about moving the handlebars when you're actually moving at anything other than walking pace. You're actually shifting the balance of the bike. You're not really um, steering in a really logical way. It's all about unconscious balance, um, which we all have naturally from the task of walking and running. Yeah. So your your human balance module in your brain that can somehow make you run across uneven surfaces, scanning the ground in real time and do it, you know, even at night and whatever, that very capable part of your brain needs a small matter of minutes of adaptation to manipulating the thrust vectors of this system. And you just find it as intuitive as walking or running. Um, yeah. So it is it is manipulating thrust vectors to be technically kind of precise about it. So is that, does that kind of involved, um, you know, me as I don't have like a background in like physics or anything, but could it in, involve like, you know, um, Albert Einstein's quote when he says with every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Is it that kind of? Oh, yes. In terms, in terms of, yes. So in terms of the, the, the basic way that the system's working, yes. If you imagine you've got fire hoses of water blasting out from your back and your arms, it would logically make sense to you, I'm sure, that you're going to get pushed the other way. Yeah, And if you sort of flatten yourself out, so your arms are pointing to your sides and you bend over and the rear one's facing almost flat, you can imagine all it's going to do is squish you. Um, it's not really going to push you anywhere. But as you gradually point those fire hoses downwards, then you'll rise up. That It is a Newtonian equal and opposite reaction, yes. Um, yeah. It's just it's hosing air at 1,000 miles an hour rather than water at 100 miles an hour. It's actually quite similar to those water systems that they stick a hose pipe on the back of a jet ski. And you then hoon around attached to that hose pipe. If you've seen those things that people use on holiday and stuff. Yeah. It's the same kind of physics. And another way of thinking of it, of it is that, you know, if you fire a shotgun, you feel a kick in your shoulder. If that was constantly firing like a sort of machine gun type thing, you'd imagine it'd be constantly pushing you. If you now point that downwards, it's now going to push you upwards. Yeah. And that also is a neat way of explaining why some people get confused thinking it should be pushing off the ground in some way. Well, the gun's recoil is not dependent on what the pellet or the bullets hit. Um, it, 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 that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? It doesn't bounce off the ground and come back up and hit the gun to push you. Right. Yeah. Um, so in the same way, some people, because they see us flying low all the time, they think we're somehow sort of pushing off the ground mm-hmm. when we're really not. You can fly off the edge of a cliff and not notice at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's an you know, entirely different, um, exactly as you say, Newtonian process. Thank you so much for explaining that. And, you know, just to kind of wrap things up a little bit, um, 
what's your vision for like gravity um you know in the jet suit in the next five to ten years like other than the very you know interesting uh Dubai um race that's coming up soon 28th of February do you have any other events that you'd like to highlight that are coming up for us to kind of stay tuned for yeah, so um, that, that's part of the rationale for the race series as well, which is I should be able to sit here and give you the calendar of forward race events that people can go and actually see this live. Yeah. Um, if we succeed in a few days time at the end of February in Dubai, um, then there will be a diary of events coming up where people can see us. Because as I say, for the last few years, it's been quite unpredictable because it's just other people's events we get invited or, you know, to pay to turn up and do. Yeah. Um, I would say social media is the best place at the moment. You know, Gravity Industries on YouTube, um, take on gravity um, on Instagram. Uh, there's TikTok, which is Richard M. Browning. Uh, for weird legal reasons, you can get more music choices like that. That's a very boring <laughs> whole conversation. Um, uh, or gravity.co as a website. Um, all of those places, you could see a good amount of what we do. Um, but yeah, if if we do succeed powerfully at this race series, I'd love to be able to give you that sort of forward diary of events where people can come and see it live. And in terms of having a go, um, yeah, if you go to gravity.co or Gravity Flight Club on um, uh, Instagram and contact us through there, then um, LA, London, or soon to be Dubai as well, you can um, jump in and feel what it's like, which is pretty awesome. I mean, we've had 600 clients and I think every single one of those 600 people have somewhat lost their minds with excitement from it. So it is a pretty cool process. And that brings this session to a close. We'd like to say thank you to Richard for joining us today. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. So as Richard highlighted, to stay up to date with where his jet suits will be next, be sure to follow those social media platforms. But we'd love to hear from you. So what are your thoughts on the jet suits? Do you have any ideas on where you'd like to see them operating next? Please share your insights by reaching out to us on our website. Until then, see you on the next Lexicon episode.